and welcome to PathPod. This is our next episode of Beyond the Scope. Today, our host, Dr. Kamran Mirza of Loyola University, speaks with two superstar medical students. Lauren Miller is a medical student at Medical College of Wisconsin and president of the Virtual Pathology Student Interest Group. And Cullen Lilly is a medical student at Loyola University and co-founder of pathelective.com. We'll hear their conversation about their path to pathology, their views on the pathology pipeline, and the value of social media in their professional impact and influence. We'll also hear their views on how to overcome obstacles that impede medical students from considering pathology as a career choice. Now here's your host, Dr. Mirza. This is PathPod. Welcome to this episode of Beyond the Scope. My name is Kamran Mirza, and today we will be continuing our discussion on the pathology pipeline. There's a special treat in store. We will be talking to two superstar medical students who are on the path of pathology, Lauren Miller and Cullen Lilly. Lauren is a third year medical student at the Medical College of Wisconsin and an aspiring pathologist interested in cytogenetics and cytology. She's a certified medical laboratory scientist and former blood banker and holds a master of jurisprudence in health law and certificate in compliance studies from Loyola University, Chicago. Lauren serves as president of the Virtual Pathology Student Interest Group and is a founder and logistics chair for the International Collaborative of Pathologists Student Council. She is also social media chair and vice chair-elect for the American College of Medical Quality Student, Resident, and Fellow Section. In her free time, Lauren loves baking and spending time at the lake. You can follow her on Twitter at ljmiller underscore mj. Cullen Lilly is an MD candidate and MA graduate student studying bioethics and health policy at Loyola University, Chicago. He is also co-founder of Path Elective, a modular, free, accessible virtual education platform aimed at expanding exposure to pathology during medical school. He earned his MS in microbiology and received a certification in molecular diagnostic technology from the American Association of Bioanalysts. Before medical school, he worked as a microbiologist in the Enteric Diseases Laboratory branch at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, contracted through IHCR in Atlanta, and is currently involved with research in the Department of Pathology and Laboratory Medicine at Loyola University Medical Center. He was recently awarded the Medical Student Travel Award from the College of American Pathologists and previously received the Reverend Percy A. Roy Award for highest academic achievement across the College of Arts and Sciences, the Reverend John H. Mulehi S.J. Award for Outstanding Scientific Achievement, and the Ruth and Lee Faust Award for Outstanding Academic Achievement in the Biological Science Department from Loyola University, New Orleans, where he graduated with a B.S. in Biological Sciences and a B.M. in Music with Elective Studies in Chemistry. Welcome to the episode. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you so much. It's really, really wonderful to see you guys and to talk to you again. Um, I am a huge fan of both of you. You're definitely superstars in my book. And, I, and I'm hoping that in this series of discussions that we're having about the pathology pipeline, people can really glean a lot of information about the pipeline from your perspective, because I feel like we typically don't do a very good job of talking about the medical student perspective, and we kind of keep talking about what the faculty is feeling. And so I think this is going to be your opportunity to speak your mind and to hopefully convince some of our listeners to, uh, you know, convince them to do a career or to take part in a career in pathology or laboratory medicine. So let's start with path to pathology. Usually the question I ask uh, faculty members about how they got into pathology uh, has some sort of an interesting kind of answer to it. And yours is still your journey is ongoing. Both of you seem to be committed to pathology and laboratory medicine. It's not 100%. You can choose whatever you want to, that the world is definitely oyster. I'm hoping that you will continue on this journey. But I thought it would be interesting, since there's similarities in your backgrounds about either involved in or actually working as a medical laboratory scientist or within the within the lab, clinical labs, and then choosing medical, choosing to go to medical school and then perhaps still thinking about pathology. So Lauren, let's start with you. Let's talk about your background as an MLS and then also what made you choose medical school and then within medical school, what helped you decide pathology? So if I had to describe my journey in one word, it would pretty much be inevitable. It seems every time I stood at a crossroads to make a decision, my path always was going to lead to pathology. Um, so sometimes I wonder why I wanted to become a doctor. I still to this day don't love hospitals. I was terrified of them as a child. But as I was in high school and I just loved 
laboratory experiments and learning about medicine and taking anatomy that it was clear to me that some sort of medicine was going to be my calling. And I actually stumbled into the laboratory field. It was my senior year of high school and my um, now alma mater, Marquette, was offering a one credit course to graduating seniors in as an introduction to laboratory medicine. I was like, okay, college credit, 75 bucks. Sounds like a good time, three Saturdays, no big deal. That one course changed my entire career path. I had not applied to Marquette. I had never heard of medical laboratory science, but over those three weekends, I absolutely fell in love with the field. I still to this day remember how excited I was to measure glucose in serum for the very first time on this old spectrophotometer that you would never be found in the lab today. And I just fell in love with it. So I rehashed my college plans, ended up going to Marquette. And so I earned my degree in medical laboratory science. But at the, the same time, I never quite lost that feeling that I wanted to still become a physician. And it's not that medical laboratory scientists aren't critical and pivotal in the healthcare field. I just knew that there was something a little extra that needed to be had in my career for me to feel satisfied. And so it was actually a wonderful stepping path into be going to medical school. I had patient experience a lot of my peers didn't have. I have the understanding of laboratory results, which is very highly undertaught in all of medical school. And so it was really just the perfect progression for me. When I got to medical school, or by the time I was starting to matriculate, I was a little over laboratory medicine by being, you know, a senior in college. Everyone has the, you can't tell me what to do mentality. And I came into medical school thinking I was going to be a radiologist. I was like, all right, I've done lab. That's fine. I know what it is. And then I realized throughout my M1 year, I was actually still working part-time as a medical laboratory scientist. I loved going to work when I didn't love going to medical school. And so that kind of started setting off alarm bells in my head being, huh, okay, maybe the lab is really where I belong. What really cemented it for me was actually during my master's degree, which I did in the, in the middle of my training. And I was working full-time in the laboratory while pursuing this master's in, in health law. And I still loved what I did every day. I worked in the blood bank, I worked in client services, and I would just go to work and have all of this medical knowledge buzzing around in my head from my first two years of medical school while still applying all of the other knowledge that I gained during my graduate degree. And now I was working in the medical field real time, working with clinicians saying, yeah, there is a, there's an issue here. There's a disconnect between the laboratory world and the clinical world. And so... I feel it's my duty or even my privilege really to be an ambassador for this field and help bridge that gap because I've had a foot in both sides of it. And really, we all need to work together as a team. So as I'm continuing my medical training now in third year, soon to be crossing into fourth year, which is terrifying, I can't imagine a more right career path for me. And the laboratory has just been my home. No matter where I go and what I try to do, I'm always called back to the lab. That was wonderful. I love how you mentioned this uh, decision-making process between medical lab science and, and becoming a physician and how like both roles are obviously very unique and they're all obviously extremely important. I think similarly for myself, you know, once I started the master's degree in medical lab sciences, I didn't want my medical lab science students to think of me as any way kind of not connected to them. That's why I got the MLS certification as well. I, and, you know, even to this day, MLS students, many of whom do want to progress to medical school, you know, the, the mentorship I give them is basically exactly what you said that you know their careers are full and complete and wholesome and wonderful and if you wanted to be that bridge or the gap like you're you know bridge the gap the way you're mentioning and it's wonderful to take on another investment uh, but that's really really fascinating um, Colin, let's move to you. So the amazing world of microbiology, the CDC, uh, you know, this awesome, cool career was already at your fingertips. School. Why choose medical school? And then what happened? That was um, kind of the question I was faced with. After undergrad, I started working in a lab. I started doing um, just regular microbiology. Um, I was a microbiology technician and I started using like Multitoff and all these different amazing techniques and I was really excited about it and I started thinking about what I wanted to do and how I wanted to incorporate my passion for the lab into my future career. I came across lab directorship initially and I was really interested in that, thinking about if I should go do a PhD and then 
afterward go toward doing the lab directorship. And then I ended up coming across the job at CDC. I started um, doing that. I was amazed. I loved that. I loved working at the CDC. I loved microbiology. And I thought to myself, I was like, well, this is really kind of what I wanted. Basically running part of the lab there. I was uh, contracting through IHRC and I was, I loved it. I mean, it was amazing. I got to do research. I got to do clinical care. I got to uh, work with public health. After all of that, I was like, okay, well, I definitely want to continue my education somehow. I either wanted to do the lab director path or I wanted to um, do medical school. I really had to think about it because, you know, the the year before that, I actually had gotten into PhD programs. I just, it, I felt like it wasn't the right time. I felt like it wasn't the right thing. And I kind of put it off. Then once I was at CDC and I was thinking about it, I was like, you know what, I really want to see patients or I want to be kind of where the decisions are being made. I want to have that patient interaction in a certain way, um, not necessarily like directly, but I still wanted to understand the human body. I wanted to understand physiology and pathology. And so I really started looking more into pathology and there are some amazing pathologists at CDC. Um, and the work that they did was incredible. I mean, just, I mean, comparing the two fields, it's, uh, or the two paths toward the way that I wanted to go. It was interesting and challenging, but then, you know, I was given the opportunity, luckily, through um, applications and such to pursue medicine, and I just decided to go for it. I really, really love it. I mean, I've always been interested in medicine. I've always been interested in science. And so when I was given that opportunity, I had to pursue it. And after all of that, I started realizing how little other people understood about the lab. And I think... That was one of the reasons I decided to start pursuing health policy as well. So I, I'm doing a dual degree in bioethics and health policy at Loyola. And I do want to incorporate that into my future. I want to incorporate the uh, ability to kind of branch out and have pathology be a bigger voice into, in patient care in the hospital and in medical education as well. And I think we're going to talk more about that later. But um, that's that's kind of the path. It was a little bit circuitous. And I kind of had to think about a lot of different paths of how to get to where I wanted to do, like what I wanted to do. And, you know, along the way, I ended up getting a master's in microbiology. And it was just... I mean, I honestly wouldn't have it any other way. I think this is something now interviewing interviewing medical student applicants. I realize that every experience you have is valuable and it, it doesn't seem that way when you're on the pre-med track. It doesn't seem that way when you're applying, but when you see yourself as an applicant, I think it's important to realize that even the small things that you have are valuable. And a lot of times you downplay them. Um, I know I did for sure. And um, I, I'm looking back on the way that I got to where I am. And honestly, I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, even though in undergrad, I probably wouldn't have thought <laughs> I would take years off and I would go do like X, Y, Z. I wouldn't have it any other way. And I'm really happy with the people that I found in pathology as well. The house of pathology is so happy that you guys are, you know, are, that your roads have, have led to this place. I feel like uh, I should write a letter to Marquette saying thank you and a letter to the CDC pathologist saying thank you uh, because, you know, what a wonderful background both of you bring. And we'll talk about kind of the, the way your trajectories and, the, and what you formally studied are different from the usual medical student. And maybe if that actually lends itself in a way to your decision for pathology. But before that, let's talk about now that you're in medical school, you're completing, you know, different, different parts of it. What does pathology education get right? Uh, as a pathology educator, I'm always looking for ways to perhaps, you know, get feedback from students about, think about the, thinking about the world of pathology education um, and when, when it is during the course of medical school, how it is presented. Tell me, if you think that as educators, we get things right, obviously, this is a generalization because it'll be different for different schools. But more so, what do you think are the challenges that we may be facing as educators and how we can overcome them, not only to be able to give a good baseline understanding of pathology, but also about our careers? So as far as getting things right, I think one of the biggest things that I always notice when the pathologists walk in the room is that there seems to be a collective sigh from the audience being like, oh boy, the nerds are here. And it just strikes me as 
kind of hilarious that that's what a lot of students think. Like, okay, you see the pathologist walk in, not with necessarily the big grandiose or grandiosity of a surgeon or some other clinician. But then he or she starts speaking and you just realize the mass amount of knowledge that is just stored in every single pathologist's brain. And it seems overwhelming, especially to first year and second year students who are just trying to keep their heads above water. Um, so I think it really comes across how pathologists really do know everything, but that can also be pretty terrifying for a lot of younger students. I think being able to see so many pathologists face-to-face in the classroom, maybe not this year, but in years past, we try to break the stereotype, but then you get some of those professors that are just what you would think of as someone hiding in the lab. But the field is so much more rich and diverse than a lot of people think. And so it's nice when students say, huh, yeah, I guess I never would have pegged professor so-and-so as a pathologist. My school, um, we did our second year education in blocks. So every body system was essentially a block and we would start with embryology. We'd spend a lot of time in pathology, start with clinical correlates and then finish on pharmacology. And that's the way our entire year ran. And I feel like people groaned about embryology, muddled through pathology And they got really excited for pharmacology because that's what actually, quote unquote, matters to them as a future physician, which isn't true. Obviously, all of it matters. And so being able to really drive home the points of, yes, we may be looking at slides and you may be looking at a patient, but all of this is interconnected is something that the pathologists and instructors at my school really tried to hammer home. It may not have always hit home with some of the students, but that was something that was really apparent to me as I was going through my more didactic years of education. Yeah, you know, I just had a vision, the three of us walking into a room and like uh, as an entourage, like kind of a pathology on like team and people saying the nerds are here. Right. And we just like all like with swag walk into a room and be like, yeah, we're owning it. I love it. You know, and and I have to say that despite the fact that I have a Ph.D. in pharmacology, come on, pharmacology is not what you look forward to. You know, no disrespect to pharmacology. Um, I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm only teasing. Pharmacology is awesome. OK, that's that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. So definitely some definitely some challenges and definitely some opportunities. Colin, how about you? What do you think in the you know, obviously, like I've worked with you, you know, there's not a conflict of interest, but like you and I obviously are at the same institution. And so there's going to be no repercussions because I am one of your pathology educators, uh, just putting that out there. But uh, in general, what do you think we get right? And what are the opportunities? Basically, the opportunities is a good way of saying, what do we get wrong? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's challenging to answer, I think, because we've done all of our second year virtually. Um, I would totally understand it being in person, kind of seeing the pathologist would be a a big difference there. Um, I think the, the interesting thing about having this all virtually is that you don't necessarily get a lot of the introduction of like, oh, this is the pathologist. They're doing the pathology lectures, um, especially at Loyola. We have like a really integrated pathology clinical kind of, um, education, So the people who are teaching the pathology lectures may or may not be a pathologist, um, and the people teaching the clinical may or may not be a uh, a clinical physician or a patient-facing physician. So um, I think you don't see as much of the like, oh, they're the pathologist, I'm just going to dismiss this. Um, And also, I think that the pathologist brings so much passion to what they are talking about that a lot of times we end up just kind of forgetting who or what they are and we start focusing on the the subject. I mean, I've had conversations with uh, Dr. Mirza about this when we were going through a topic and I was like, I have never liked this before, but I would just want to do it forever. It's the coolest thing. And then I realized that it was really the professors that made this like so amazing. I mean, making the kidney the coolest organ in the body or making the lungs just absolutely fascinating. Um, That's what I have noticed. I mean, throughout all of the things that um, we've had. And luckily at Loyola, we get to have these lab sessions. We get to talk about 
you know, the different cases at the microscopic and gross level. And I think that that's been a really, really fun opportunity to engage with pathologists kind of in person. I mean, virtually, but you're either live and you have to present these cases and you get real time feedback on them. And I've gotten a lot of like really good feedback from my friends after these things and um, after these lectures. And they say that they're really fun and they love that uh, we get to work with these people in person. And we don't have that with clinicians necessarily. I mean, we have our small groups, but that's a little bit different. It's an interesting thing. It's an interesting question. I don't know for everyone, but I know for me, that is probably the biggest thing is the passion and um, the drive to educate. Uh, I know that they have the willingness and the ability to teach and they love it. I think um, some of those struggles are sometimes that it's some people might not see the correlation to the clinic necessarily, which I don't necessarily understand, but I, I get where people might be coming from with that. And some people might say it's too detailed or uh, not necessarily applicable if, you know, they're all presenting the same way. Why does it matter? You know, that kind of thing. I've heard that before. Um, but I think the there's an opportunity there to talk about why this matters and why little differences could actually make a big difference in a patient's life. Um, you know, things that present the same and you get a biopsy and they're actually something completely different. Well, knowing what that biopsy is and knowing what the pathologist does could be a really big, uh, could be a really big opportunity for the physician to talk about the patient, talk to the patient about that. I agree. Shout out to Maria Pekin for uh, making sure that the kidney is a fantastic organ, despite the fact that I wanted you to love blood the most. I'm, I'm just pulling your leg. I think that that's I still love the blood. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm, but, but it's true, though. Isn't it amazing? I think one thing that really comes out is the fact that if, you know, so pathologists are knowledgeable. We know that they intend to kind of be good educators, which is fantastic because I think part of it is because they already have a good pathophysiologic understanding of the mechanisms of disease, which I think is very, very unique. Even though, like Lauren mentioned, that can be very overwhelming, especially if pathologists can't control their urge to just splurge like so much extra information. Uh, and so I think that if done well, that really uh, gets the message across of like what the mysteries of the human body are. And like Alan was saying that some small results could make a big impact, you know, similar to this, uh, you know, we have a different podcast episode where I've been talking to uh, people from the United Kingdom and the Royal College of Pathology. And they had mentioned that there was an essay contest and the contest was called tiny tests, a big impact, you know, the idea that, you know, the whole uh, patient's life can completely change and it all depends on the test. And so I guess those are the great things. Those are the things we do well. And as far as opportunities are concerned, especially now, given the virtual space, et cetera, uh, it is kind of, it's, it's not lost on me that the two amazing superstars I'm interviewing are both people who actually were exposed to the clinical labs before medical, medical school started, right? And I think that that's a big component as well. If you consider the uninitiated medical student who hasn't thought about the clinical laboratory, they won't get an exposure to the lab at all, actually, if they don't really go out and look for it, right? Because there's no there's no place for a permanent clerkship, which is unfortunate, but, you know, it's just an elective. Not a lot of people take it. And in my anecdotal experience, people take it really in the last few months of their fourth year when they've actually already matched. And I fully support that. And I think that that's great because whatever type of individual, like, you know, physician you're going to be, uh, it's good to know about pathology, but it's too late to change their mind. So even if they fall in love with it, then they've already matched into a program. And so, Give me your thoughts, perhaps. I mean, and I know that there really isn't a very good answer. Give me your thoughts about how can we think or perhaps think outside the box in a way to bring the labs closer to them? Do, do we envision this being... Um, more of a lab-based focus when we're talking about clinical vignettes in second year? Do we try and, you know, push things in into surgery and medicine? What would be if you were given... Uh, pedagogical kind of uh, liberties, right? You can like kind of create an experience that may be even compulsory for people to do. What, how would you break it up if you were given a small amount of time in the clinical years, the third and fourth year? Lauren, how would you do it? I think the first thing I would love to see is more focus on laboratory tests. Now that I've been on the wards and in the hospitals, there have been so many instances where I'm working with residents and we're working up like an amyloid cardiomyopathy and the senior resident next to me goes, 
well, we got this test. I don't know what it means, but Epic's not telling me it's abnormal. So it must be fine. And then me being my laboratory medicine self goes, wait a minute, hold on. I can tell you exactly what that means, exactly what that protein electrophoresis is going to tell you and why we're not super worried. And yes, this is normal. And so I would love to see more emphasis on these are the labs. This is why they matter. And this is how you interpret them. And that's not to say that every single clinician needs to have a detailed understanding of how we run laboratory testing. That's why we have medical laboratory scientists and people like us. But at the same time, we always say in the lab, garbage in, garbage out. If you don't know what you're ordering, if you don't collect a good specimen, we're not going to be able to give you those answers that you need. And so being able to draw that direct line from patient results to why this matters would be very, very helpful for just every aspect of clinical care, regardless of what specialty someone is in. I would also like to see more pathology grossing experience. It's not something that's necessarily common. I mean, for my school, even seeking out pathology, I never got into the gross room during my two-week elective. There's just not enough time. And I wish we had a four-week elective as 30 years, but that's just not um, part of what our kind of roll the decks of classes is. And it would be nice if we were in surgery that we could go into the frozens, watch them do a section, see our patient, get whatever tumor or benign lesion we think we have in our patient out of the patient, walk into the gross room, see what the pathologists do, watch them make the diagnosis in real time, and then go right back to the OR. I think that would really solidify a lot of these experiences, especially on the surgical pathology side for aspiring surgeons or aspiring clinicians who don't necessarily understand the process of specimen to lab to result. They just think, oh, just send it to the lab. It goes into a black box and later results or a report spit out, which is absolutely not true. I think the biggest thing is just going to be more exposure. And as much as I would love to drag everyone down to the lab and make them sit through a sign out, that's probably not possible. But there's going to need to be a bigger push for visibility on campus, especially if we're in these virtual times to show that, hey, pathology is here. It's not for everyone, but no specialty is for everyone. And just making sure students are aware of those opportunities and know where to go and who to ask for if they're interested. No, I, that's brilliant. I completely agree. I think that uh, similar to your experiences, I think we've had issues and you know challenges to try and overcome even here where... So first things first, we, you know, here at Loyola, for example, the, our elective is APCP, which is great. I'm so glad that we were able to give it four weeks, but I completely agree with you. I think that that grossing aspect and the laboratory aspect is extremely important to kind of bring to the students. Cullen, from, with respect to education and exposure to the labs, and obviously given your previous experience also, what would you do? Let's say that you were given two, three weeks in the third or fourth year, how would you structure it? Anything different you'd think of? Yeah, so that's actually a, an interesting question. And, and now, since I've been able to talk to a few pathologists, I've been able to kind of uh, see what people think kind of virtually, either on Twitter, or social media, or in person, you know, when I'm in the pathology apartment, whenever I can. It's, um, it's not necessarily that pa pathologists want every single medical student to come through. And I, I understand that. I totally get it. And it's also the same way with uh, the medical students. Not every medical student wants to go through and do a full APCP elective. But from what I've seen and kind of from what I've experienced, I think it would be almost best to have kind of a layered approach to this. Um, you know, having some type of uh, exposure in honestly first year having that people understand kind of what tests are not not necessarily going into all the detail but you know like when you're talking about uh you know your molecular cell biology and genetics you could talk a little bit about the different pcrs or the different genetic tests and then when you're going on to anatomy and you're going through all of your dissections you could kind of see uh maybe a dissection of a heart or a grossing of something of, of one of the organs um 
and at the end of kind of well, the way that our year is structured, you kind of do like the normal and then the abnormal. So the at the end of your first year, you could uh, go over how the different what all the different labs are, kind of what all the what a basic metabolic panel is, a complete metabolic panel, what a CBC is, how these things are done. And then second year, it would make sense why things are normal or abnormal and kind of what the results actually mean. And then when you're going into surgery, I think you should totally follow a specimen all the way through. I think that that would be one of the best ways to do it. I mean, being able to see the surgery, see what happens there, follow it to the gross room, and then come back and you have the you were able to see how that whole process worked. I totally agree. I think that would be an amazing way to do that. And then incorporating smart test ordering into an internal medicine rotation would also be amazing. I mean, the, you know, being able to order tests in a smart way um, can help social justice. It can help um, the hospital system. It can help pathology labs. Um, I think having that, it won't be a burden. It's not a huge thing. I mean, smart test ordering could be a one-day lecture. Um, and having the, you know, the understanding of the labs in first year is also, you know, maybe like a week-long thing. Layering it and not overwhelming people, I think, is probably the best way. Um, I think being overwhelmed is something that we're starting to see now with the pandemic. You don't want to have too many resources because then you end up just kind of getting uh, thrown to the wayside. You know, I have to say, uh, for any pathology educator listening to this episode, you literally heard it here. These people have amazingly laid out how it's going to be, you know, start, you know, it's amazing, right? I mean, these are, these are the practical and useful things that educators need to keep in mind, right? Layer things, don't shove everything together. Start early, you know, M1, Cullen and I have talked about this a lot. Start early in M1, you know, there is maybe a little bit more flexibility there. Bring the labs to the students early on. On so that they have an understanding of the context of what the labs are doing, you know, and then obviously teach them the, the didactics in their second year. And then if they want to come in, you know, keep it an elective experience, but allow them the opportunity or the privilege of seeing gross organs being dissected and, you know, being part of, you know, campaigns such as choosing wisely or, you know, lab utilization testing, for example. And I think that you, what we will end up with is a whole army of medical students matriculating with excellent knowledge of pathology and laboratory medicine, right, which they can use day to day. And so it's not rocket science, right? It's not rocket science. We're not like reinventing the wheel here. It's just effectively the best utilization of what we can provide them. This is just wonderful. Thank you so much for your Absolutely. answers. And if I can just add a little bit there, I mean, I think in the future, uh, especially in the United States, maybe not uh, everywhere quite yet, I think the lab is only going to be more present. And I know people might say th that AI is taking over or whatever. It's going to take away people's jobs. That's um, not the case at all. I mean, we've talked about this a few times, but if anything, it's just going to increase the amount of data we can analyze. And the amount of data that we can glean from a patient is if we can increase that in some way, we can make uh, their therapies more personalized as people would say, quote unquote, personalized. Um, and it's really just tailoring these therapies to patients. And I think that in the future, you'll, you're gonna have to know more about the lab. And I think that if, the, if medical education can address that now, it's only gonna help physicians moving forward. No, I completely agree, especially this pandemic. If it's like told us one thing, it is that a lot of the physicians are, you know, our colleagues don't know anything about testing, uh, you know, and they may not have needed to know that much, but the reality is that everyone is using Epic to order tests. So, you know, the, and this black box cannot remain a black box at all. So it has to, it has to change. Let's focus a little bit, uh, you know, let's shift focus a little bit now and talk about personal impact and influence, right? And so as ambassadors for pathology and laboratory medicine, as ambassadors for things that you've done before in your, in your very young and amazing careers, we all obviously have a footprint. One is a personal footprint. One is a more public footprint. And naturally, we are carrying on our sleeve the fact that we're becoming pathologists or we are pathologists. And so I wanted to talk to you about your experiences in how the role of social media has evolved and how you think. I know both of you are active on social media. Uh, you have leadership, obviously, in pathology organizations that are national, local, international. So let's talk a little bit about social media and how you have leveraged it and how others could potentially leverage it for their own careers. Social media has certainly made the world so much smaller. And as a medical student, kind of isolated with G2 
just my own institution's faculty and really no one else interested in pathology in my graduating class. It's really opened an entire world and uh, from people across the world of being able to interact in the realm of pathology. I wish I had found out about past Twitter sooner. It was actually you, Dr. Mirza, who introduced it to me after I met you for all of five seconds at USCAP in 2020 before the world shut down. And looking back, I don't know how I managed before PATH Twitter, and I don't know how I would have really kind of blossomed into this field and all the different experiences I've had and all the mentors I've met through social media if I hadn't have had that one exposure to you randomly at a conference. It's been really wonderful to be able to just form those connections. And even Cullen and I were chatting about it. We've never met in person. And yet we feel like such great friends because we talk all the time and we work together. And that is so true of so many of the mentors that have touched my professional growth. I realize I have not met them in person and yet they're someone I would absolutely just shoot them an email, say, hey, can we schedule a call and talk? I think it's also a wonderful educational experience. With this exposure, you get to see the diversity that pathology has to offer. And it's not just what we necessarily think of AP versus CP, but you see the education, you see the research, or in my case, I'm really interested in laboratory compliance and how healthcare is regulated. There's still that niche for me in PATH Twitter and all of the people who share my passion for health policy and health regulation who are in the lab every single day trying to make sure that we are providing quality and safe care to our patients, even though we may not be the providers at the bedside. And so social media has just been a game changer for our entire field. I always kind of expected that pathology was going to be more of a close-knit community. We're, we're not the largest field. We're not internists. We're not surgeons. And yet I know people across the world that I could easily just shoot a message and instantly have a colleague and a friend and a mentor on the other side. And that has just been the most wonderful experience of at least my beginning of my pathology career and probably one of the top 10 of my medical school career. That's wonderful. Colin, social media? Yeah, I mean, same thing with Lauren. I was introduced to Twitter on like the, I guess the second month of school or something, I had gone to a pathology interest group meeting, kind of spur of the moment. I was like, you know, do I want to go into the lab? Do I not want to go into the lab? Cause at that time, kind of like Lauren said before, I was like, well, I'm going to medical school. Like I could try something else. Like, you know, I, I experienced that. Like, why don't I try something else? And I went to the pathology interest group meeting. I absolutely loved it. I mean, Dr. Mirazo was amazing. The other people there were so fantastic and there was free pizza. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, he, you know, Dr. Mirza talked to uh, us about, uh, Twitter. And so I did start a Twitter. I did nothing with it and I just kind of let it sit there and then kind of, Later on, I started following more people. I started kind of seeing what it had to offer. And to be completely honest, I was nervous about pathology because I knew Loyola's pathology program was great. I loved all the people I met. I loved Dr. Mirza. I loved the, uh, the chair. I loved the program director. And I was nervous that if I went somewhere else, I would hate it because I was like, I'm, I'm going to be tricked into doing this. <laughs> and so I, when I started following more people on Twitter, I started realizing that it's not just Loyola's pathology department. It's, it's all of them. I mean, pathology is a great field. I think they're very welcoming. Um, they're a very, uh, in, we already talked about this, a very intellectual group of people. They're passionate about what they do. Um, I mean, you kind of have to be, if you want to look at something at such a micro scale, um, but I, I think that's really what has made me love pathology is honestly Twitter because I was nervous about it. And now that I've seen more people, I have made connections kind of around the country and now around the world with the International Collaborative of Pathologists. Um, and it has only solidified what I feel about pathology. Um, it, like Lauren said, I learn something new every day. It's been an opportunity for me to share my work and to educate people. And I've loved it. So what you're saying is it was definitely the pizza. 
A hundred percent. It was hundred percent. There was a lot of pizza that day. I'm I'm so glad that there was pizza. You know, I think I took like a whole box home. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, it was definitely the pizza guy. So for educators listening, the pizza definitely does it. Hundred percent. Pizza and then social media. These are the these are the pearls, guys. They you know people need to know about this stuff. I wanted to talk about the fact that both of you, interestingly enough, bring a very unique candidacy to pathology, right? You have this sense of microbiology, medical laboratory science, law, bioethics, health policy. I mean, both of you have mentioned it. You're both either st- uh, studying it formally right now or you've studied it in the, in, the, in the past. And I wanted to know your thoughts about interprofessional education uh, with the fact that, you know, naturally you are straddling multiple facets of kind of health, you know, health related, but even non-health related kind of study. Do you think interprofessional education is important? Number one. Number two, how do you see it uh, or pathology changing because of an interprofessional presence in the future? It's hard for me to describe how much my law degree and my other education has really enriched my medical education. It seems silly to say, but I feel like when I left medical school to pursue this master's degree while working in the healthcare field, and when I came back to start my third year, I had a completely different view of how medicine functions, just because I now had an understanding of medical staff bylaws and compliance policies and insurance and all of the other nitty gritty details that really dictate how we can practice medicine and how we can provide care that no one really talks about in medical school. Yeah, we get maybe a lecture or two here and there on malpractice or quality of care, but to have the perspective of someone who is non-clinical while also being a future clinician has really changed how I approach patients. And it I feel like it's made me more of an empathetic provider because as much as you want to have every patient get the best care possible and everyone be on the fantastic new drug, that's just not the system that we live in. For Unfortunately, that's not how our healthcare practice works. And so being able to understand, again, having one foot on each side, knowing the admin while also knowing the medicine and learning the medicine has been really helpful for me to just kind of understand why patients are going through what they're going through and how I can help them navigate the complexities of this entire process, even just as a third-year medical student who may or may not really have an impact on their care. Part of the reason I actually pursued my interprofessional education was because of pathology my mentor who introduced me to my master's of jurisprudence, she holds the same degree, was working as a medical director for a small insurance company that only serves patients in the southeastern Milwaukee area that are on Medicaid and Medicare and need supplemental insurance benefits. And so through her, I learned how every day she was dealing not only with the medicine, but also with the policy. And it was the chair of my department at school when I asked him, hey, I want to do this degree. I realize it's not necessarily the quote unquote norm for a lot of candidates. This is what it is. What do you think? And he looked at me and said, do it. I wish I had this knowledge being able to practice the way I did. I wish they would teach this to us. And so I went and I got this degree and I absolutely loved it. Moving forward, my career goals are really centered around kind of the merging of health policy and regulation and pathology. I want to hopefully one day be a laboratory director and maybe even one day work in the accreditation field. So helping laboratories provide higher quality care, making sure they're abiding by all the regulations that they need to abide by, while also keeping an eye on patient care and making sure that is our goal overall. And so I hope to be able to change pathology even just a little bit, even if it's making sure One day the Joint Commission has better accreditation standards or we make a modification to CLIA or even CAP has a a new way to kind of go through their inspections. And that merges both of my loves, health passion, health law, and being a pathologist. Very powerful for those of you who are listening who obviously can't see us. We, Cullen and I were both cheering her on as she was speaking. It was, uh, you know, very uh, aggressive nodding and lots of clapping, uh, you know, behind the scenes. Uh, Absolutely agree with you. Colin? 
It's an interesting question because going through my undergrad, I didn't pursue a medical laboratory science degree. I think looking back on it, I wish someone had talked to me about that, um, had even introduced it to me. But I'm also glad with what I ended up doing because I pursued a, uh, a dual bachelor's. I did a bachelor of music and I did a bachelor of science in biology. And the uh, bachelor of music actually helped me look at problems very differently. And I think that helped me tremendously going through kind of what I considered was my pre-medical years. Um, I think really now looking back on it, I think the, the years after my undergrad were really my pre-medical years because I learned so much then too. Um, but going to a Jesuit school for undergrad, uh, being immersed in philosophy and um, theology even, um, I didn't think that I would be interested in any of that. But I did fall in love with ethics, and I really liked the the kind of the uh, metaphysical questions and the meta ethics. But then being able to apply that into like a into an actual clinical scenario or um, what have you, and so you know, I wanted to. I thought about it in undergrad. I thought about pursuing a master's in bioethics, and I was, you know, I was like, well, you know, I'll just I'll put it off and. I didn't even think about it until I got into Loyola and they said they had a master's in bioethics and health policy. And I was thinking about it. And I, I, again, like I said, I also saw the, the need for pathology to kind of be at the forefront as well. And there wasn't many people that I knew of at the time. I know more now, but I didn't know many people that were, you know, in the policy, the health policy realm in pathology, kind of pursuing the, the, uh, in the improvement of pathology's voice in medicine. And so I decided to pursue it. And this completely changed how I viewed things. I mean, I think I've talked to Dr. Mears about this. The first class that I took in my ethics, uh, my ethics degree, I, it completely changed how I look at problems. It completely changed how I look at differences of opinions. Um, and it completely changed how I see clinical dilemmas or ethical dilemmas. And it also was at a very pivotal pivotal time because that was also near the beginning of the pandemic as well. And seeing some of the, uh, um, we could say differences of opinions um, or the challenges in communication, uh, I guess I could say that. The I mean, it's a, it's a big, it's a big challenge. And I think, this is something that we need. We need people, we need physicians that understand uh, that, that we live in a morally pluralistic society and that's that we all have a different set of moral rules technically and we're all bound in a society that is that is functioning kind of as a way to hold us together. And it's tough to understand at this point. And it's, I think it's something that physicians really should kind of explore because we really should be there to help our people, the members of our community and um, improve our communication. And that's something that especially I think pathology needs is we need some great communicators and we need some amazing outreach to high schoolers, to the public, to our clinical colleagues. And if anything, I think that we should be in more interprofessional uh, programs in medical school. You know, I think we have some interprofessional programs with, you know, the farm programs and with the um, nutrition and nursing. I think pathology should absolutely be more of a presence as well. Um, it feels like we're almost a different field at times. And I think that it really should be brought together as part of the medical team, starting to think of a system of care. And uh, that's that's really how it's affected me. It's completely changed how I see things, but it's also been very valuable. Really powerful answers from both of you. I think that this is just amazing and so true that if you think of a health systems, situation, the heart of that entire thing, like the heart of interprofessionalism would be pathology and laboratory medicine, right? I mean, without that, if we can't 
pave the way or show the way to people about how interprofessionalism works. Uh, and I'm not, and obviously they're also intra-professionalism. Like a lot of times other physicians think that we aren't physicians. And so they think, oh, this is interprofessionalism. But specifically, we have to be careful that those, we're physicians. So this is intra-professionalism, but also inter-professionalism, which I think that both of you described so powerfully. I mean, thank you so much for your thoughtfulness about all of these, uh, these issues and for sharing your thoughts with us. So we are going to lead out now with me putting you on the spot a little bit. You have met an uninitiated medical student, M1, and in an elevator, and it's only three or four flights of uh, elevator like going up. So you don't have that much time, but you need to convince this uninitiated medical student in a few sentences why you are so happy with your decision and why maybe they can consider this type of uh, career for them as well. And since I've always put Lauren on the spot first for the answers, sorry, sorry, Colin, I've always asked Lauren the, the answer the question first. I will continue with Lauren and Cullen gets a few minutes to think about it. Uh, Lauren, go ahead. I think my elevator would pitch, my elevator pitch would start off with, if you like everything, do pathology. You like every body system, can't figure out if you want to be a nephrologist or a neurologist or an internist or a pediatrician, do pathology because you can literally do all of it. And then as Cullen and I both are showing, Oh, you have other interests like ethics or law or policy or pharmacology. Guess what? You can do that with pathology as well. We have more colors than radiology. We can see as many patients as we want on our own schedule. And at the end of the day, you're going to get an extremely social field with welcoming people who just are absolutely passionate about what they do. And the best part is that if you're like me and nothing can hold your attention for more than an hour, you can teach, you can do research, you can mentor, you can sign out cases, you can work with residents. Oh, and you can do all the other things that you're also interested in. So pathology is really a field for everyone, as long as you're not the person that needs to be in clinic for 12 hours a day. Ding, ding, elevator open, fantastic. All right, Colin, your turn. Okay, yeah, I, I think I always talk about this intersection between the fields with pathology. I think, like Lauren said, basically, you can choose medical school all over again, you can basically start it all over again, when you do a pathology residency, I mean, you could choose to go into any specialty, any subspecialty it has a pathology, uh, pathology colleague associated with it. And the other thing is this intersection that I always think about with the clinical skills and the basic science knowledge and even public health um, and also ethics for me all of these things intersect with pathology and it's a beautiful field and the people are amazing and that's my elevator speech <laughs> ding, ding. all right fantastic so i have to tell you both i'm convinced i think i'm going to apply for residency now um uh, you know do it all over again happily uh, even if i had any doubts which i didn't um it would be really really great to redo it based on the energy that i've seen from both of you i think it is an extremely bright future. I am so proud, personally, I think I can say it, sounds a little gushy, but I'm so proud of both of you, of the amazing things that you're doing, all of the fantastic endeavors nationally and internationally that you are uh, all you know, participating in. If you guys don't follow uh, Cullen and Lauren on social media, please do follow their journeys and share them on. We are uh, very happy to know that the future is bright. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank, Thank you. you so much for having me. Support for the Free Path Pod podcast comes from listeners who like it and share it with their friends. So go ahead, send someone the link. And be sure to subscribe to PathPod wherever you download your podcasts. PathPod is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not medical advice. As always on the podcast, any views expressed are solely those of the person speaking and do not necessarily represent their employers, their affiliated institutions, affiliated professional organizations, other speakers on the program, their friends, their families, their pets, or anyone involved in the production and distribution of this podcast. Thanks for listening to PathPod. Pod.